U.S. Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue told Fox News Business up to one million calves have been killed in Iowa and Nebraska alone after historic flooding devastated the Midwest. According to officials, the Missouri River is expected to crest today, swelling the river's waters to its third highest level in history. The damage is particularly devastating for farmers whose farm and ranch losses are expected to be in the billions. Roger Johnson is the president of the National Farmers Union, and he joins us now from Washington. Sir, thanks so much for being with us. You're very welcome. Good to be uh, with you. So the flooding, sir, has been devastating to many communities in the Midwest. We've been reporting all week long, especially yeah. farmers. Uh, tell us about the impact this has had and what are you hearing from farmers on the ground? Yeah. Well, the impact is really pretty dramatic. It's important for folks to understand that agriculture has been under a lot of stress even before this weather pattern set in. Uh, net farm income is about half of what it was five years ago. Uh, the trade deals that, uh, that are coming out of this administration, the tariffs, all that is depressing prices, making things tougher. And then you had this sort of bomb cyclone that hit, which caught a lot of folks uh, sort of unawares, killed a lot of animals. Uh, and then, of course, that's followed by all this thawing and, and flooding. Uh, you know, I've been talking to members all over the Midwestern part of the, the country in the last uh, week or so, and uh, it's just dramatic. I mean, some folks are clearly going to lose uh, their business. Uh, they've lost their houses. They've lost their farmsteads. Uh, they lost a lot of animals. Uh, a lot of these folks uh, are expecting that they're not going to be able to plant this year because uh, by the time the floodwaters recede, it'll just be too late. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Last Born in the Wilderness. If you would like to learn more about this project, you can go to the website, lastborninthewilderness.com. Everything you need to know about this project, about this podcast, can be found there. And a link to that website and everything else I'm going to mention is going to be in the description of this episode. If you want to support this project, there's a few different ways to do that. One is just to subscribe to this podcast. There's a few different platforms this podcast streams from, so please consider subscribing. Uh, you can also follow this project on social media. And if social media isn't your thing, consider subscribing to the newsletter. And if you want to support this project monetarily, you can do that through two ways. You can do so through the one-time donation link, which is through PayPal if you want to send a donation my way you can go to paypal.me slash lastbornpodcast treat it a bit like a tip jar if you like this episode if you like any of the other episodes i've done please consider just throwing a few bucks my way and that'd be great and if you want to support this project more regularly you want to sustain this work on a monthly basis you can do that through patreon you go to patreon.com slash last born in the wilderness and there you can start by making a dollar or more a month donations to the production of this podcast and uh, by doing that you'll gain early access to these interviews before the official public release and you'll find other patreon exclusives but everything i do ultimately every interview i do is going to be publicly available i just give patrons a little early access and a few other things like that uh, I think this work is important. I, I don't want to put a paywall between the content and the listener. But anybody who's willing to support this work, I am just incredibly appreciative of. It means everything to me that people are willing to support this project. So please consider supporting me that way. Uh, another thing you can do, and it's something I've been doing for the past few months, I've started this thing called the Drop Me a Line phone number. Uh, you call this phone number, takes you straight to a voicemail. You can leave up to a three-minute message, and I can include it at the beginning of these podcast episodes. I don't always have enough messages to include it at the beginning of every single episode, uh, but when I do, I, I, I put it at the beginning, I play it, 
I respond to it, it kind of creates something like a feedback loop with the listeners. It makes it a little more of an intimate, I think, a little bit more of an intimate experience because people can then air their their concerns, their grievances, their criticisms, which I am very welcoming often, <laughs> depending on what it is. But generally speaking, I'm very welcoming of any kind of feedback that I get from this project, for this project. Uh, so to those that have already called, I want to thank you. And if you want to call that number, you can do so through uh, the phone number 208-918-2837. That is 208-918-2837. So give that phone number a call. Leave me your thoughts, your ideas. If you don't want it to be included, please state that at some point during the message. Anyway, without any further delay, here's the episode. Now I'm just a simple guy, but there's one thing sure as shooting. I hate those folks who think that they're so dead burned highfalutin. I'd be the same in Hollywood or right in my own kitchen. I believe in fussing when you're mad and scratching when you're itching. I'm a plain old country boy, a cornbread loving country boy. I raise cane on Saturday, but I go to church on Sunday. I'm a plain old country boy, a cornbread loving country boy. I'll be looking over that old gray mule when the sun comes up on Monday. Come from opportunities, they never were too good. We never had much money, but we'd done the best we could. Ma doctored me from young and hood with Epsom sauce and iodine. Made my diapers out of old feed sacks, my spenders out of plow lines. I'm a plain old country boy, a cornbread loving country boy. I raise cane on Saturday and I go to church on Sunday. I'm a plain old country boy, a tater-eating country boy. I'll be looking over that old gray mule when the sun comes up on Monday. In this episode, I speak with Nicholas Humphrey. Nicholas is a meteorologist that is based in Lincoln, Nebraska. Uh, Nicholas has been very blunt in how he expresses his understanding of the direct impacts that global climate change is having on many different regions around the world. So that's the really the, the wonderful interdisciplinary work that Nicholas is doing, and in particular with this massive flooding that we've seen in the Midwest, which has primarily affected Nebraska, Wisconsin, Iowa, and Missouri. And we get into this episode, we get into the damage. As he explains, there's there's been several major storms that have happened within a pretty short period of time, I think since January, which has led to something like double, I think, uh, the amount of snow, snowpack that they typically get in that region. And then you couple that with rapidly fluctuating temperatures, which they've also experienced, and then massive storm that just brought down torrential rain, uh, something that's been described as a bomb cyclone, flooding, overflowing the Missouri River, which then overflowed into fields, into people's communities, into cities, into towns. But we can't really understand this natural disaster on its own. Obviously, we can compare it to previous floods. Apparently, one of the the biggest floods in the region that they've had more recently was in 2011. Uh, This year, this flood is bigger than that. 
And as we're going to be seeing in the future, we're going to be seeing events like this happening more frequently. You know, the farmers in the Midwest, which is an economic sector of the United States, it's a it's very important as an economic force in the world to have the ability to continue to export these crops that are grown in the Midwest. It's vitally important. Um, otherwise, food prices are going to go up, which is what we're kind of projecting as a result of this flooding. And what's really disturbing about this flood, obviously the huge toll that it's having, the long-term impacts that it's going to have on the region and the United States. Not just that, but it's the fact that we are just at the beginning of the flood season. There's an article, I believe, that I cite in the interview, but I just want to state it here. It's an article that was in the New York Times called 25 States Are at Risk of Serious Flooding This Spring. They're expecting massive flooding. Uh, nearly two-thirds of the lower 48 states will have an elevated risk of some flooding from now until May, and 25 states could experience major or moderate flooding, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. As a result of climate change, as a result of a warming atmosphere, the water cycle has changed, and we're more likely to have these kind of events occur. We're going to experience more drought, and simultaneously more flash floods, and more deluges like this. So at the very beginning of this interview, you're going to hear Nicholas basically break down in a very technical way uh, the damage of this flood and why it happened the way it did and ties it into climate change. And then as we progress through the interview, you're going to hear that Nicholas and I are going to expand our scope a bit. Nicholas covers this in a lot of his work, so to be able to hear him talk about it, to get into the nitty-gritty of it, the data, I think is really important. For a long time on this podcast, I feel like at least as, a, as of late, when I do talk about climate change, I'm not jumping into the data as much as I'm talking about what does it mean to be alive at this time? What does it mean to know that we're very likely experiencing not only a mass extinction event of non-human life, but that we are included in that event as well, that human beings may very likely go extinct as a result of, of abrupt climate disruption. We won't, we won't be able to survive through it. And, and all of the massive damage this flood has done to the infrastructure is really just a prelude or an indication that we're going to be seeing more and more of this. Our infrastructure particularly in the United States, is not going to be able to handle these massive natural disasters that we're seeing much more frequently and much more severely as time goes on. So this flooding, we need to understand that it's going to have long-term impacts on the global economy, on the United States economy, on food prices, on farmers and their ability to stay afloat. Nicholas is very good at, at breaking all this down, and I'm really uh, happy to have had this conversation with him, to be able to go over this information, to break it down, to know what the future holds as well for all of us. And that we need to become more, as much as we possibly can, more aware and try the best we can to begin to prepare psychologically, emotionally, spiritually for what is happening on this planet right now. And as the climate changes more radically, we're going to begin to see these types of events bleed into everyday life more and more. And that is what this flood represents. So I, uh, my heart goes out to the people in the Midwest that are experiencing this, and my heart goes out to anybody who's being impacted by abrupt climate disruption directly right now. But it's all coming home to roost, so to speak. We're all going to be directly impacted by this in some form or another. I believe everything is intricately connected, even if the intricate connections are often invisible to us, or that we're just not very aware of. Anyway, if you want to find out more about Nick, we mentioned his website or his blog, which is on Patreon, patreon.com slash meteorologist Nick Humphrey. 
I'll provide a link to that down below. And on that Patreon page, you'll see it's really just treated like a blog. He puts all of his essays and research on there, and there's no paywall between you and the research. He does, of course, have the ability, if you want to support him, you can definitely do that there. And you can also follow him on Twitter, which is at NTH underscore Met, that's M-E-T. And you can also follow him on his Facebook page as well. And I'll provide links to all this down in the description, and I'll also be providing links to the articles that we cite in this interview. So I just really want to thank Nick for taking the time to talk about this really important subject, and I think we need to really be paying attention to the subject, because like we say, this, uh, this event isn't really being covered all too urgently, I would say, or with much emphasis in the corporate media. So we really need to be paying attention to these massive events that are happening all around the world right now. So we can kind of get a mapping and an understanding of what's currently unfolding on this planet we all share. So thank you, Nick. Thank you all for listening to me up to this point. Here's the episode. Well, Nick, thanks for, uh, like I said before we started, thank you for, for taking time to speak with me today. Uh, you know, I think we both agree. I think this is when we were communicating about setting up an in- interview about this subject. Uh, we both agreed that the massive flooding that we've seen in the Midwest, in particular in Iowa, Nebraska, Wisconsin, and Missouri, uh, and please include any other spots that I'm, I'm missing there, but in, in those major, uh, in that region, we've seen a massive flooding event. And yeah. Uh, the impacts are still being felt. Um, I know it's been what over a week now, maybe at this point since this began. Uh, the impacts are still being felt in the region, and it's uh, and considering how important the Midwest is economically, um, yeah. regarding food production and all of that, uh, it's it's uh, to take into account the vastness the vastness of the the damage not only to the region. And to the people that live in that region, which I know that you live in Nebraska, so you're you're pretty close, obviously, to what what's going on right now. Um, but not just that, but to sort of look at how this is going to have an impact into the near and distant future within the United States yeah. and potentially globally as well. Um, but I think to just to first talk about what caused this flooding. I, I know that's a, a pretty basic question but you know why is this flooding so bad like what happened i know that there's probably been floods i know there's been flooding in the past but what is it about right now and and how this flood in particular came about that is so unique uh this flood was actually the the result of three or four different storms um we had uh, an abnormally cold uh, January and February on the plains in Midwest of the of the United States, and um, as a result of that, we had record record cold in parts of the region. We had significant snowfall. Um, you know, parts of Nebraska, Iowa, um, Minnesota um, had um, uh, had snowfall. Some of the heaviest and most significant accumulations of snowfall in the winter season on record. And so as a result of that, much of the region had a, had a um, large scale snowpack of maybe anywhere between half a foot to more than a foot of snow um, from three or three to four different storms that had occurred in January, February. And the snow never really had an opportunity to melt gradually uh, just because it was so abnormally cold. And, and so we, you know, here comes, uh, you know, early March, we had a, 
um, but it was been referred to as a bomb cyclone. It was a uh, uh, for parts of Colorado, Kansas, the most intense um, uh, non you know non tropical you know system on record for those states. Uh, Mid latitude cyclone. It it had a, a minimum central pressure of a you know about nine sixty eight nine seventy millibars. So it was a it was basically for comparison it. Um, the sea sea level pressure, the average sea level pressure on planet Earth is 1,013 millibars. So to give a people um, sort of a comparison of what that number means. So it's a very, very deep, low pressure system. Something that's more typical that you find over the open ocean than on, on land. But it tapped into um, subtropical moisture from the Pacific. It had actually caused some heavy rain and heavy snowfall in California, which has been dealing with um, significant um, rainfall and snowfall from the, the El Nino regime that's going on right now in the Pacific. That storm formed a new low. It bombed out over Kansas and produced um, locally heavy rain over eastern, um, uh, eastern Nebraska, western Iowa, in southeast South Dakota and raised the temperatures. So you had soils that were still frozen below freezing, um, you know, six to 12 inches of snow on top of that frozen soil. So about um, a rainfall, you know, equivalent, uh, liquid equivalent across the region of maybe two to three inches of, of, of rain just locked up as ice and snow. And then another two to, two to three inches of rain fell on top of it. And the temperatures uh, during the storm event uh, across eastern Nebraska, western Iowa rose into the 50s and 60s. You know, um, Lincoln, Nebraska, for example, um, and th this was really about a month ago that, this, that these events happened. Um, it, um, in, er you know, in, in early March, you had when this event happened, the temperature shot up to about 65 degrees here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Ten days earlier, the high had been three above zero. Holy shit. So you had very cold air. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just, very that's a lot. Air. That's a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and even leading up to the event, the high temperatures were, you know, in the 30s. There were some days that had gotten above freezing, but... Uh, basically, that day the temperature shot up, and the snowpack across eastern Nebraska, western Iowa, southeast South Dakota, just for you know for you know for all you know intent and you know it just basically flash melted. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just rapidly, rapidly because of warm rain and warm air, it just melted in a you know in a in a meteorological instant, meaning you know 24 to 48 hours, it was gone. You know, you can look at satellite pictures from month from a Monday of that week, snow everywhere. Friday it was gone. And so all of that water, two to three inch liquid equivalent plus two to three inches that falling was released. It was released to the you know, Niagara River and along the border with South Dakota, it was released to the Platte River across central Nebraska, the Elkhorn River in eastern Nebraska, and all of those waters flooded to the Missouri River, the big Sioux River up in um, uh, southeast South Dakota rose rapidly. It was basically just three. The 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 effect, the waters of 
four, three to four storms plus a current storm was all released in 24 to 48 hours. And it, it, it flooded everything very rapidly. And it wasn't helped by the fact that you, it wasn't, not only was it being released rapidly itself, but because there was still significant amounts of ice in rivers, you had ice jams. So you had ice that would melt, water that would build up in those rivers. They would, the ice, icy water would flow, reaches a curve or a, or a skinny spot. It jams up and can't get through very quickly. The water rises rapidly on the jam, on the upstream end, flooding those areas. Ice jam breaks. Then you get a flash flood down river. Um, and that's what happened in a lot of cases in a lot of places, and especially up in northern Nebraska where it was colder. Um, you know, like on the Niobrara River, you had, you know, large blocks, you know, SUV-sized blocks of ice or bigger, you know, going down these rivers in a flash flood, smashing into buildings, um, um, being deposited over farmlands, uh, grazing lands, um, smashing and destroying bridges. There was a dam failure on the Niobrara River. And a, and a bridge I've been on, you know, m- you know more than once was destroyed. Uh, it was a river. It was a, a bridge that goes from the town of Niobrara to Niobrara State Park. It was washed out and destroyed, and parts of the town um, were were hit with this mix of of uh, cold water and fast moving water and blocks of ice that were deposited everywhere, and they're probably still sitting there. Some of these blocks of ice are significant in size and they're still sitting there thawing out um and so i mean it was um it, that's basically what it was that's what made the event you had an abnormally cold season um you know february january february going down you know going into march and now it's extending into april and at the same when this has been something that's been repeated for the past like two or three years now this weather pattern uh, and then, but you, you still, especially late season, you know, late winter, early spring, you get these, these, uh, flash warming events where you get significant surges of warm air. You know, th- this is something that, you know, in any sort of time would be typical where you get, you start getting these warm days that build up more and more from the cold times, but now you, you get these wild swings where you get, you're very abnormally cold. And then you, for like even a day or two, you get very abnormally warm. And if you have snow sitting around, it just flash melts and turns to water and has to go somewhere. So that's, that's basically what happened. And I mean, you know, you know, all of the farmland that was in the path, you know, along these rivers, they flooded severely. Towns were flooded, um, uh, you know, um, here in, uh, in Lincoln, our water supply or our ability or access to our water supply was threatened by the flooding, um, because electrical, um, uh, le- the electrical grid in the area north of town, uh, was flooded. There was actually power poles that were knocked over because of erosion that knocked the power lines over. So the pumps that supply Lincoln, it's water from the aquifer, like 80 feet below ground. They started failing and the water pressure dropped, water pressure to the city dropped. And we had to have mandatory water restrictions for about a week because of that. And then, of course, it all went to the Missouri River and the Missouri River 
uh, rose significantly and is you know spilled over or just destroyed um, levees in multiple locations, flooding even more farmland in Iowa and in, in Missouri. Uh, so, so that's basically the synopsis of how the event occurred. Okay. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you going over that. And and I, I was trying to figure out what direction to go in. Um, I think, I guess to ask, like, how the infrastructure was impacted by this. I know that there are dams and levees and other other ways to kind of control and direct uh, uh, or to stand in the way of um, flooding or just direct the path of, of the Missouri river and how that of course, um, gets distributed among the farmland and all of that. Right. It seems like yeah. most, if not, well, maybe not all, but many of the levees that have been built, um, were either destroyed or they just were unable to deal with the massive amount of water that was coming through. Um, and that yeah. of course spilled yeah. over. So, uh, I, I hate breaking everything down to numbers as far as, you know, the financial or the monetary kind of quantification of the damage, because obviously it's, you know, to reduce everything to numbers isn't really what I'm trying to get at. But I do think it's really important to understand using that as a metric of how bad this is. Uh, I mean, I was just reading, I was reading an article uh, the New York Times published titled 25 states are at risk of serious flooding in the spring, U.S. forecast says, and it says Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska put a preliminary estimate of $1.4 billion in damages in his request for a federal disaster declaration, including uh, $439 million in damages to public infrastructure and $85 million to homes and businesses. Uh, I know that that number has actually been going up. The, the amount of damages that are are, are now being um, as they're being sort of sort of represented in in those terms uh, I was reading it's actually an article that you published on your Facebook uh, page which is flood dam it's from AccuWeather, and that's uh, flood damage and economic loss yeah in the heartland to reach 12.5 billion dollars this spring and they're accounting for apparently uh, you know damage to homes the contents of the homes cars businesses uh, farm losses you know which includes crops and livestock uh, yeah contamination of drinking water wells infrastructure auxiliary business losses and then the long-term impacts of the flooding uh, which as it also notes which I think is great that it is noting this the health issues that come with the flooding as well yeah. Um, yeah. If you wanted to comment on that, the just the the, the massive <sighs> damage this has done already, and what we can even expect in the future uh, regarding this. Yeah, I I, I, I liked um, AccuWeather's assessment. They did a similar assessment of Hurricane Harvey um, a few years ago, and it actually uh, got some flack from some people, but it turned out to be quite um, accurate. Which uh, obviously Harvey was much more destructive in a higher population area caused about $125 billion in damage there. Um, by the way, we're, um, you know, these events, they add up <laughs> yeah, yes. to the country yeah. at some point. Um, but I think it, I think it's a, it, it, the thing with like damage to by big events is that you have the, you have the, what I call the first order damage, which is the immediate destruction to, you know, to homes, businesses, infrastructure. And then obviously there's the second order damage, damage behind behind the curtain, so to speak, the, the, the damage that occurs down the line, you know, spatially or temporally. So 
you know, contamination that has to be cleaned up, soils that are lost either to contamination or to erosion, you know, because this water didn't just rise um, and just flood. It act like, like, like reason people built, you know, have historically built on floodplains over the past, like literally 10,000 years is because, you know, because the flooding would provide, would be slow and rise. You kind of knew where it would, ha where it would happen. And then you, you get the, the river provides nutrients and revitalizes the soil. Flash flooding or rapid river flooding that causes the opposite, erodes the soil, takes it away. And, you know, that's a, that's obviously a financial damage, uh, but it's also a, a damage to the ability of, you know, of agriculture in this case to provide all of the food and everything that you ex that the population, uh, the consumers, so to speak, expect. And I, you know, and obviously we've also had significant losses to livestock, and um, you know, there's been estimates that up to a million calves. Uh, may have been may have been lost in Nebraska from the flooding, you know, because a lot of the cows they give birth and have their young in the springtime, and and they they were just basically sitting in the water, you know, cold waters surrounded by water for days and days and days, uh, you know, and you know cows can get hypothermia or or get injured by stuff in the water or get sick from pollution in the water just like a human can um you know so and then obviously there's nothing you know they're just out there they can't be rescued or anything they're just left out there uh, until the waters can go down and so they either the, you know the ones that aren't hardy enough they just die um and so that's appears to what if what has happened and when, when i mean when you have you know a, a, a million or so acres of farmland flooded uh, there's it's a it's a case where it's so overwhelming that you're you, you can't really attack one area and try to deal with it because you know roads are destroyed or damaged bridges are destroyed um you know towns or, or cattle herds of cattle are put on islands so you basically have to wait for everything to settle down and it's a it, it's it, it's really a, a, a to me a catastrophe that is not really um, uh, that the country doesn't really realize is, is really bad. It's like the equivalent of of a major hurricane hitting the southeast U.S. and just devastating everything. It, you know, it's just this one didn't this thing didn't have a name. <laughs> yeah, but it had it had power in it. And, and it's not just the storm itself. Like I said, it's. It's the conditions that were set up prior to it by the atmosphere to allow this storm to be so devastating. This storm alone wouldn't have been able to do this. It was a combination of all of, of all of the events, the uh, normal events that stacked up. The previous ones not being particularly harmful, but then there was a catalyst that made all of these abnormal events be have one significant you know, uh, moment of power that could cause all this damage. And that's, you know, that's what happened with this, you know, what I call a mega flood, this huge, huge flood. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I think what I really, uh, I think what I and what many other people appreciate about your work is that you are a meteorologist and you're examining the ways global climate change, uh, which we 
I think it's pretty well established why that's happening, why our climate is shifting yeah. very dramatically, um, and how that's impacting weather events, how that's impacting the water cycle, how that's impacting how things like this are happening more and more frequently. Uh, yeah. We're seeing really disruptive weather events, uh, flooding, drought, you know, all of these things that are swinging very, very abruptly from one end to the other, like you mentioned earlier, which was like the rapid change in temperature, which has caused you know massive disruptions, right? So, yeah. So in your examination of global climate change and how it's impacting and how it's creating the the sort of pretext or the um, the ground for these types of things to happen more and more, you know, what is your assessment of how global climate change is going to lead to more and more of these types of events to occur? Well, there's uh, there's basically three um, things, you know, things, three um, processes that are the most obviously affected by by um, by global climate change, um, and particularly its abrupt, um, increasingly abrupt nature, and that's obviously um, warming. So most locations on the planet are experiencing an increase in actual temperatures. Uh, the water cycle. So in this case, more evaporation leading to more moisture in the atmosphere that can be precipitated out in, in greater amounts. And also related to that and also related to heat is drought. So you're getting greater warming of the planet. It's able to hold more moisture, produce more extreme precip precipitation events, but it also increases the evaporation rate from the soil. So you're losing soil moisture. Uh, one of the greatest um, right now, probably the best, um, um, unfortunately, the best <laughs> in an unfortunate sense, laboratory on the planet where we're witnessing this is Australia. Australia is um, undergoing significant aridification. I mean, it's drying out, but they're getting these massive um, rainfall events that, you know, that that are almost apocalyptic. I mean, they had, I mean, just like what last, like a couple months ago, they had a huge event in Queensland um, as far as uh, heavy, heavy, heavy rainfall from um, something that's become more typical where a, 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 a tropical feature, um, you know, basically uh, stalled out over the region and produced days of deluge, you know, torrential, torrential rains that just flooded the countryside. I mean, an entire region of grazeland, grazing land became an inland sea. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and then and then a month later, you it's the opposite. Instead of a tropical event, it was a it was a a, a mid latitude cyclone that abruptly melted ridiculous amounts of snow in twenty four to thirty six hours and led to uh, basically turning parts of you know. Uh, eastern, you know, Nebraska and the Missouri River into what almost looked like a, a, an inland sea, you know, and, and, and towns turning into islands. You Like, like there was literally towns like 30, 45 minutes that, you know, from me that I could that I wouldn't have been able to get to. And I've been through them before. I couldn't wouldn't have been able to get to them because they're surrounded by water. They have to be evacuated by boat. <laughs> wow. I mean, it, it's yeah, I mean, it it's it, you know, it. 
you know, and that's just two examples. <laughs> there have been others in, I mean, Harvey, you know, Florence in the United States, um, um, Cyclone, Cyclone Adai in Mozambique. So, I mean, the, the power of water is beginning to be shown from what we've already done to the climate and also obviously drought, long-term aridification of of much of Australia, we're st- we're seeing that more in the southwest U.S. Where, you know, meteor- you know, meteorologists we look at the the short term droughts. You know, go from drought, go from go to wet periods. Like California right now, most of California is not in drought anymore. Problem is, they were in drought so long. You need you you need like years of what they're having now to catch up, to get caught up. And what, how far they were far, they fell behind. And if you have a swing in that, back to drought, say this year or next year, it, it the the water is going to run out much, 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 much faster. You have millions, tens of millions of dead trees killed by the drought, killed by bark beetles, and and you have all this undergrowth from the wet period. So you just you just light a match and it and it all ignites. That's what's happening. Climate. The thing with you know climate change is that the damage is accumulative. It's not just you know one event the here, one event there. The damage to the biosphere, the damage to human civilization is all accumulative. You go from getting hit by this, you know, during like you know say the 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 regular you know period of climate stability that we, that humans have enjoyed for the past 10,000 years, you know, with very, very slow changes over the course of hundreds to thousands of years, you know, you got hit by one big event, you get hit by a bunch of smaller events once in a while that you planned for. It doesn't matter who, who, you know, what era it is. I mean, from the ancient Egyptians to, you know, the United States 300 years, you know, 200 years ago, everybody would know when the floods would come, how bad it could get, how low the water could go some years, you know, but you kind of knew where your crop should go, where your building should go, how you should prepare. And if you had something bad, you know, you would hope you would have the ability to recover from it fast enough to be ready for even the smaller events. Nowadays, you get hit by one gigantic flood then you get hit by another one in a shorter period of time, and then you get hit by another one. I mean, there's places that got suffered significant damage from the 2011 flood on the Missouri River that were just really getting back on their feet in the past couple of years, and now they got hit again by this event, and, and that was even that was much bigger, much you know, much bigger and more widespread. And so that's that's the thing with with climate change; it's accumulative and the, the faster it goes, the, the more um, the more accumulation of, of damage, destruction, and inability to recover you get with time. And really, it might be not just additive. It might be a, a multiplier. So you, you try to recover, but you get so much damage, and now you can't recover. I mean, there's you know farmers that are saying, I, I don't know if I can recover from this. I don't know. You know where I can, what I can do. I, you know, there's so much damage, pollution. What am I going to do about it? You know, that affects, you know, the that, that might affect literally everything from the economic system's ability to recover to even the ability, even the uh, even um, 
the people that that might be interested in farming may not get into it because they don't want to deal with the great amount of destruction that um, the previous farmers dealt with. You know, and so it has psychological effects and also physical impacts when you have this accumulation that's accelerating with time. And I mean, that's what's happening. Climate change is accelerating uh, fairly quickly. So, so, I mean, that's something that um, sometimes folks don't get, you know, and I try to really uh, hunker down on that because I, you know, my, I've made it my job, as you say, to, to make sure people really understand what, uh, what climate change means in terms of the weather, going beyond the the weather is not climate meme and actually understanding what weather is in reference to a climate and a climate system. And if you, you know, um, you know, I used to be, you know, I'm 35 years old now, I have my master's degree and out of college, but, you know, back in the early 2000s, I was actually a music major um, and, and uh, I like I, I like to bring up sometimes the analogy of um, there's a melody and there's a harmony. The melody typically plays based on the structure of the harmony, and if you change the harmony, you shift to a to a to a uh, related key. The harmony or the melody changes a little bit relative to that. If you shift to a distant key, then suddenly you're your melody sounds very, very different, has a di- completely different character. And that that's what's happening with the climate, with the wet and, re- and the weather in reference to the climate. As you shift the climate, if you shift it gradually to a to a very close key, if you will, your weather shifts and changes a little bit. If you move to a more distant key, suddenly your weather is completely different in many regions of the world than it was in the past and the faster you do that the more alien the weather seems relative to the climate that you experienced maybe you know recent years ago and you know i've had that experience even um living in seattle i grew up in seattle most of my life until i moved here in the late 2000s and the weather in seattle the summers are so much hotter than they used to be they're getting all these fires and arid conditions and smoke, um, you know, clouding up the days. And I remember in, lived, growing up in the 1990s in Seattle where you, it might be cool and moist until early July. And then you get, you know, maybe some 70 and 80 degree weather and occasional 90s. You know, it's nowadays it's like getting upper 90s, threatening 100. <laughs> yeah. And everything's burning. <laughs> well, yeah. everything's burning because the, the climate in that region wasn't designed to have you know, all these trees exposed to all this heat and, you know, so, I mean, that, that's basically how I try to explain these processes to people. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and understanding the, I, I really love that analogy with music, you know, it's like the character of the weather system itself, the way it, the way it's going to play out in the short term and the long term is, is that the abrupt change in the climate is going to create all kinds of very disruptive changes in the weather patterns and that in turn because we are not especially within a i think an economic uh you know kind of model that we have which is based on kind of the monoculture agricultural uh, uh model which you know the, the midwest is in other parts of the united states exemplifies i think which is this intensive agricultural production using 
um, you know, uh, lots of chemicals and fertilizers and all kinds of things to produce the amount of uh, agricultural products that are required to keep not only the farmer's business is going, but to maintain this whole economic order. Um, and when the climate system has, as it is now changing as dramatically it is, as it is, it's going to have real world implications. And like you pointed out earlier, these things don't just happen and then people recover rather quickly. No, it, it's an accumulative thing. We're seeing, I, I'm just, I think the fear that I have, and, and I think it's well-placed um, and many people that are observing this this story and observing this trend uh, are, are experiencing as well, this fear that they're feeling as well, is that, okay, you've got massive wildfires that are getting worse practically every year. You've got, uh, you know, the water cycles disrupted. You have these massive droughts. You also have massive flooding. You have really dramatic temperature changes. You have things like uh, we're seeing the changes in the jet stream, you know, the arc, you know, the, what is it called? Mm-hmm. Um, the polar vortex. Arctic or the, amplification. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. that's dipping down further into the United States and into the, the continental North American region more and more every, uh, it seems like every year, it seems like I'm sure yeah. there's variations, but it's, it's like a trend that we're seeing. Um, all of these things seem to accumulate to being not only disruptive in the lives of everyday people, but our ability to even subsist to, to practice agriculture in the way that we've been doing for the past several decades or even hundreds of years. Uh, It's another aspect I want to kind of point to, which I don't know how much you want to talk about this, but I do want to point out this reality, which is that, um, you know, farmers and these businesses can only take so much, right? They can only take on so many stresses. I mean, we've seen as a result of uh, Trump's, uh, trade war, as it's been called, uh, with China and, and Mexico, I think, are the two major uh, countries that he's been putting tariffs and all these various things that he's done to try to, I guess his goal is to, to I don't know, I, I don't know what his big goal is, but basically, yeah. it's impacting farmers, it's impacting the price of these products, these agricultural products. Um, and then you have, I, I was reading earlier today that there's something like 84 major farm operations in the Midwest are going bankrupt. Uh, there's been a spike in bankruptcies in these agricultural businesses the past yeah. few years, and, and this trade war is directly connected to that. You take that and you compound it with abrupt climate disruption, massive flooding, drought, all of these major climate disruptions that we're seeing across North America and around the world. Uh, this is having a... Uh, it's like how much can the system take? How much stress can we experience economically in this region, in the Midwest, with agricultural production before the economy takes such a devastating hit that it's like essentially a collapse kind of scenario? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that seems yeah, to I be mean, something I want to comment on. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, I, I think from, I think for, for anyone that really like tracks everything that's happening with, you know, abrupt climate change with, um, the, you know, the biological annihilation. I mean, there's an ongoing mass extinction event of insects on the planet yeah. right now. And, and then also, you know, and then, you know, the, the, um, the damage actually being done because of, um, the climate change by pollution, you know, you're losing, um, 
having all this damage from these storms, they release a lot of pollution to the environment that you, of the places you're trying to build on, uh, rebuild or um, restart crop production on. Uh, it, it, it It's an extremely compounding thing on top of the, the, the problems with the global economy that were already there. Uh, anyways, I mean, there's like, you know, massive amounts of debt. And I mean, when it comes to money and, and debt, we're talking about, you know, resources and basically the world, uh, obviously, you know, more so the developed world, the established developed world, but the world as a whole um, basically overspent on the resources. And now we're hitting, you know, basically resource limits and we can't have enough resources in the future to basically pay back the debt system that we have in, in the that you know as part of the economic system that we function upon so at some point the the system is going to grind to a halt and fall into a depression <laughs> i mean that, that really seems to be fairly likely in literally the next couple of years it just really is looking very significant and then but how, how do you deal with a depression state when you don't have any re, have enough to really come out of it and then at the same time you're being hit by increasing extreme weather events that are harder to recover from and and, and increasing damage to the biosphere that you're depending on to to feed your populations uh through you know agriculture um and and really the, one of the reasons we have so many people on the planet is because of industrial agriculture making all of this food product in huge amounts to feed, try to feed those people. And you still have, um, a, um, an inequality of it where people are struggling to get food in say in parts of Africa or, or South central and South America. And they're getting hit first with some of the most devastating, um, extreme weather events you can think of. So, I mean, it, it's, uh, it just seems like the, we're kind of entering a period where all of the problems, that everyone's been concerned about are starting to cross paths with each other. Abrupt climate change, ecological, environmental destruction, um, and and and, um, and pollution, all of which are caused by you know you know overconsumption of resources, um, you know over you know in some in some you know regions overpopulation is too many people taking over too much space. And, um, you know, it's it, the, the obviously civilization and the planet, which we are part of the biosphere, um, is, is starting to, it's starting to collapse. It's, ha it's collapsing already. I mean, insects have been on decline for probably the past 20 or 30 years. Um, we've lost not, you know, 90% of, um, amphibian populations are gone on earth. <laughs> they're just, Jesus. they're gone. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, you know, most of the bio, mammalian biomass on the planet is humans and livestock. I mean, <laughs> I mean how, how can you have a, a, a functional planet where most of your of your mammals, you know, it's supposed to be the age of the mammals since the dinosaurs went extinct. And most of them are one or are, are, are a small collection of species, one of what, you know, and that all but one of which are, are controlled by humans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, so. Yeah, well, that's uh it, it, that seems to be some of the the reality of 
the loss of biodiversity, the loss of, say, insect populations, and like you're pointing to more and more of, as we lose biodiversity, as we lose the complexity, I would say, the complexity of these ecological systems, these life systems on this planet, they are being replaced by large-scale monoculture agricultural projects which often much of that is used to then feed cattle which is then specifically and only specifically made for either humans or humans pets basically like dogs and cats basically right like that basically yeah basically we're it's like um to bring up another analogy analogy for those that are star trek fans it's like the borg (laughs) in star trek basically uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, assimilation and resistance is futile. Humans are forcing the natural world to assimilate, and either be- the land either becomes agriculture, it becomes cattle grazing, it becomes um, large-scale cities. Um, you know, it, it becomes something that humans that that either that either protects humans from nature or thrives. Um, uh, or help you know, or helps humans th- supposedly thrive, get become more powerful. You know, all the mining, all the all the take over the land. I mean, that's why you know Bolsonaro in Brazil, he looks at the Amazon rainforest and just thinks it's a you know, like what, what the hell are we not destroying this and yeah. turning it into something that's actually useful to us? You know, you know, make it useful to us. There's no value in the idea of having one of the bigger producers of oxygen and one of the major regulators, the regulator of the water cycle in South America being protected. It's just like, why are we not using this for wood? (laughs) Why are we not using the land for, for our cattle? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Why are we not utilizing this undeveloped land? It's, it's useless the way it is. We must use it. You know, we must grow our economy. You know, the, it's like the, we become the Borg, yeah, and the economy is our weapon, you know, to protect us and th- supposedly thrive us and 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 control nature. It's kind of it's kind of a weird. Um, um, it's like um, it's just it's a we've become a sadly an illness of the planet, you know, and you know, and we're not understanding that our survival depends on having a positive relationship with nature. Instead, we have a destructive one thinking that that's going to be positive to us, you know? Yeah. So I, well, that's why earlier I was, when I was mentioning the billions of dollars in damage in the Midwest as a result of this flooding, I felt hesitant to give it that to, to direct people's attention to the economic damage because yeah, quantifying this is, is not what I'm trying to do. I just want to give people a sense of like, okay, this is massive. Billions of dollars in damage is going to have a direct yeah. impact on people's lives. But just like how you pointed with Bolsonaro and this sort of uh, the way that uh, leaders like him look at something like the Amazon forest, which is one of the most incredible, most biodiverse regions in the world. And he looks at it like this is underutilized to in in being able to serve the economic system of brazil and of the world right you just reduce it to that quality and to not appreciate not just the services that it provides but the fact that it exists at all i mean there's no 
there's no humility in the face of that. And to reduce something as complex as an old growth rainforest that's been, that is so complex that we have, we don't even, we have like what the tip, we just barely understand what's even available there for us to observe. Um, but not, but then to then say, okay, let's, let's take this incredibly diverse region and let's cut it down and make this available for either agriculture or for cattle, you know, like that's it. And it's just, it's the sickness, I think, of the systems that we're a part of. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I, I just wanted to comment on that, but, but to get back to, uh, the direct impacts that this, uh, this flooding is having in the, the Midwest, I think it's also important to realize that this isn't over. And what I mean by that is that the flooding is projected to continue throughout the spring, uh, this spring and into the into the summer. Uh, and I want to quote again uh, that New York Times article because I think it does give a pretty good overview and I think it, it does have some good points to, to, to acknowledge here. But it says that uh, vast areas of the United States are at risk of flooding the spring, even as Nebraska and other Midwestern states are already reeling from record-breaking late winter floods. Federal scientists said on Thursday, nearly two-thirds of the lower 48 states will have an elevated risk of some flooding from now until May, and 25 states could experience major or moderate flooding, according to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, or NOAA. It says the flooding this year could be worse than anything we've seen in recent years, even worse than the historic floods of 1993 and 2011, said Mary C. Erickson, Deputy Director of the National Weather Service, in a conference call with reporters. So the major flooding this month in Nebraska, Minnesota, Iowa, and elsewhere is a, quote, preview of what we expect throughout the rest of the spring. Some 13 million people could be exposed to major flooding, make th- making this a potentially unprecedented flood season, fl- Flood season, said Edward Clark, director of NOAA's National Water Center. Can we talk a bit why why is there more flooding projected? What what has yet to happen in regards to to flooding and, and future flooding events in the Midwest and the rest of the United States? Yeah, and um sure. Um well hydrologists I know we're getting very, you know, by like February we're starting to get very concerned about what what's happening and it's kind of a a um a, a multi multi-layer uh, event obviously the event right now that we witness and what is going on because there's flooding going on um in southeast south dakota there was flood some flooding in minnesota there was some flooding in wisconsin actually um uh, while the f- major flooding was going on in nebraska and iowa just got 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 kind of eclipsed by what was happening in nebraska and iowa but there was on um, flooding going on in wisconsin as well and now um, I'm hearing about uh, flooding in the next week on the Red River of the North and uh, in North Dakota. Um, basically, what's happening now is all of this snowpack in the region itself is is melting and melting fairly fairly rapidly, and so that's gonna that's contributing to the to the elevated um, uh, rises in the rivers across the region uh, right now or or has been in the past month the the additional threat is what is usually more typical uh, for this region on on such a scale anyways is the um, water coming from the mountains the rockies you know there was 
um, quite a bit of snow in parts of the Rockies this winter. And that's if you have abnormally warm temperatures out west. Um, and it's been it's been a fairly um, um, intensifying pattern the past few years to have a, a very abnormally warm temperatures in the western U.S. spring and summer. That means that much of that snowpack melts. It melts faster than it would otherwise, and you start getting a significant runoff, you know, down uh, the rivers um, into the Dakotas and Nebraska into Iowa, Missouri, on the Missouri and the Mississippi rivers. And and so and that that's really what was the factor in the floods in ninety three and two thousand eleven. I mean those floods this flood happened in March. This huge flood happened in March. Those floods happened, you know, more into you know April, May, June for from the from the snow melts um, upstream uh, in the mountainous terrain. So you're you, you dealt with this event that was a, a, a huge release of stored water from the snowpack in the region. And then now you're going to get the significant release of the snowpack in the, in the mountainous terrain. And, and I think the, I think this, the danger of this is not only are you getting the release of the stored water, but then you also just have spring storm season. So, you know, last year we didn't really have a, a, a lot of storms on the plains. We had these this very uh, wildly uh, wavy jet stream um, that you know we can uh, attribute, especially in recent years, attribute to the weakening of the jet stream because of the rapidly warming Arctic Arctic amplification of you know global war- regional warming is much faster up there than the global warming as a whole. So as weakens the jet stream, jet stream becomes much more wavier with huge amplitude waves. So it was abnormally cold going into April here on the plains, and then in the southern plains you actually had a lot of um, um, early heat and drought. That's why you had all the mega fires, huge, huge, huge fires in the, on the uh, prairies of Oklahoma. Uh, this year, we're getting more uh, subtropical moisture coming through, Cal- through over California, over the southwest U.S. into uh, the plains and and also the deep south. So you're getting um, more um, opportunities for abnormally um, Normally, uh, high, normally more rainfall, along with this wavy jet stream. So it, it it gives you more opportunities for thunderstorms that can produce heavy rain, saturate the soil, cause flash flooding, and then that water can run off and also produce and enhance um, river flooding. So there's a kind of a lot of things coming together um, that I think lead a lot of these um, 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 forecasts for. Um, significant flooding to either uh, continue, intensify, or occur in the near future along these rivers that are associated with the watersheds of the of the Missouri and Mississippi rivers. Okay, yeah, that's a converging of different things that are coming together to to make what seems to be just the beginning of a pretty devastating year. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's you know. I talk a great deal about, I've done interviews with other individuals about the data, about getting into the data of climate change, and I like to touch on it because it's really important to talk about the data to get a kind of 
you know, mapping of the world that we're in. But there is like this emotional, spiritual, you know, aspect to it, which is this frightening future that we're kind of molding for ourselves, that we're creating for ourselves, uh, or that we're at least a part of. We maybe aren't fully responsible for it. I, I know that the majority of the carbon emissions that have that have impacted the uh, the atmosphere can be attributed to a pretty small group of uh, companies or people, but we're all a part yeah. of this together. You know, we're all going to be experiencing this together. And so, so when we sit here and we uh, really take in the data, I mean, it's just there's so much to take in. Um, and I I really appreciate you for doing what you do because. You know, it was actually kind of funny. I was talking earlier today with some friends about, I was going to be like, hey, I'm going to be interviewing a meteorologist. And I haven't interviewed a meteorologist before on the podcast. I've talked with climate scientists and other people in other fields of research, but I haven't spoken specifically with a meteorologist. And I, and I have this like funny memory of years ago. I know this is totally an inaccurate representation of, of meteorology um, and meteorology's uh, relationship with, say, climate change and climate research. But I just had this this image, this memory of like, it was like a, you know, like for a while there, the media was trying to create this like false, um, you know, oh, let's have a debate between a climate scientist who believes in abrupt climate or, you know, anthropogenic climate change and a meteorologist, like they're supposed to be opposing to each other. And more and more now, I think the 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 sciences, at least, I think they're, they're they've always been connected, but there is this now deeper overlapping uh, relationship that I'm witnessing between meteorology, between glaciologists, between those that are studying marine biology, um, you know, atmosphere, you know, all the various t- kinds of sciences that are addressing this massive issue, this massive trend that we're all a part of, which is, of course, abrupt yeah. climate change. So I, I really, truly appreciate that you're bringing your expertise into this uh, exploration into the impacts of abrupt climate disruption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, the, 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 um, the, the supposed, um, a clashing between climate, climate scientists and meteorologists there, you know, it it is exaggerated, but there, there is an inkling of, of truth to this. Um, (laughs) I don't remember when the study, when the survey was done, it was, um, several years ago, probably, but I know there was a survey done of TV meteorologists. You know, most TV managers have a bachelor's degree um, at least, and and work you know in their various you know stations across the country. And I think that I think it may have been the AMS, the American Meteorological Society, that actually did the survey. And but they have found that thirty eight percent of TV meteorologists. Uh, did not think climate change was caused by humans. It was caused by, you know, natural uh, variability. And, and so, I mean, and I mean, there were some, you know, notable, you know, meteorologists and there still are that I know of um, that do not believe, so to speak, in, in, in human induced climate change. And, and so, I mean, there was, and, and I mean, it was it was something that you know, a lot of climate deniers and conservative uh, climate deniers, uh, you know, brought out. They would trot out these meteorologists to challenge because they they study the weather, they know the weather, you know. And and the thing the thing is is that when it comes to um, is it, it, how how credible a particular theory or something is, 
you really want to turn to those people that have studied it and have have, have actually um, done peer reviewed research, have you know, have, have 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 done the conferences, have done some interaction with other scientists and presented their data and their conclusions in a scientific forum. And when you look at those people, you know, climate scientists, maybe. Um, and as you say, it gets more interdisciplinary, biologists, marine biologists, etc. You see most of those, the vast majority of those scientists are very, very um, strongly saying that climate change is being caused by humanity's uh, burning of fossil fuels. And so and that there's actual effects that are ongoing on the climate system, the biosphere and everything else, um, you know, so, you know. Like from like my background, I'm a meteorologist. As um, you know, my my master's degree is in geosciences, applied with a concentration in applied meteorology. But my and and I also did do some undergrad work in meteorology and climatology at the University of Nebraska. But my my actual bachelor's degree is from South Dakota State, and it's in interdisciplinary studies. So I actually um, learned um, you know th- you know theoretical uh, research. Um, concepts into how to take a complex um, multi-causal problem and 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 look at it through the eyes of the of different disciplines that tackle it and try to understand it from their own perspective and actually fuse those perspectives together into a new um, concept a new I- idea, you know, a, 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 what some refer to as a complex and multi-causal explanation, basically a, a interdisciplinary model or theory of how things are functioning. And climate change is really one of those things. The the causative agent of it is very clear. You know, it's something that, that can be discussed from an a- atmospheric chemistry perspective, but all the effects and all of the feedbacks and everything that uh, that that um, that encompass you know abrupt climate change or disruption and the damage involved. That's really a, a multidisciplinary uh, thing. And you know, I, I I take the approach of always trying to make sure that you know people understand um, you know just how um, uh, damaging these events and the acceleration of the events and why it's accelerating you know, what they, what it, what that all actually means. Uh, because, you know, like, you know, like, um, I saw a, um, a, uh, article or something by written by, by the world economic forum talking about, oh, there's a pollen insect pollinators, um, do, uh, um, uh, contribute $153 billion a year to the global economy and crop production. And, but, the but the diversity and in, 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 in populations of insects are decreasing, threatening uh, uh, crop production. And I was like, well, if you – yeah, so, okay, you lose crops, but what happens to the people that need the food? Yeah, right. <laughs> what happens to the people that produce the food? What happens to the, uh, to the ability to, um, to even have current agriculture when you have – both pollination pollinators decreasing and storms getting worse, destroying areas that you needed to plant your food. <laughs> you know, you know, there's there's more than you know. It's always this economic numbers game, or it's temperature changes, or it's soil. You know, I'm not an expert in everything, 
but I can take what these experts are saying and try to put it together into something that's more comprehensive to make people understand how significant these things are because that's really not being done. And so as a result of that, nobody, most the average person really doesn't get how bad it is and how bad it's becoming and how fast it's going. I, you know, I mean, right now I'm, I'm watching the, the Arctic undergo what is basically a, a non-ending heat wave. Like I can almost can't even call it a heat wave anymore. It's just, it's gotten very warm since about late February, early March, and it's not cooling down and it's losing catastrophic, catastrophically losing sea ice and, 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 and the permafrost is, is melting exponentially, meaning it's just getting worse, 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 worse every year compared to all previous times. And nobody, nobody knows, nobody really talks about it. No one knows this is happening because nobody tells them and nobody really understands the implications of this yeah. to the fact that climate change is going to acceler- continue accelerating significantly in the coming years. And we're going to have to deal with more of these events. I mean, imagine events like, well, I mean, imagine events like the Midwest flame we're having now happening every couple of years. I mean, happening every couple of years, not even every year or more than once a year, just every like two to five years. I mean, we already had the Missouri flood in 2011. It took forever for many places to recover. And now we have this one in 2019. Imagine even those events happening every couple of years or you get go from this and maybe we go to a, a huge drought that doesn't end for four or five years. And then we get hit with this another mega flood. That's people don't understand that that it's about an accum- like I said earlier accumulation of effects and so we kind of most people just go walking around kind of kind of just like oh everything's fine oh it was a <laughs> bad flood oh you know you know yeah. this has happened before and you know and it's a lot of normalization but you know I don't you know I I don't have very good optimism for the next um, four or five years in terms of what's going to happen to this region. I mean, I'm worried about this summer. You know, I'm worried about it having this flood, having severe storms, even if it's the storms themselves aren't particularly notable. We get more rain, get more flooding events that exacerbate everything that's happening. And then maybe in the summer, it just gets hot and it gets really hot and, 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 Crops that were able to get grown have to deal with heat stress and and, and impacts from incre- from an increasing drought. I mean, I you know it the it gets harder to predict the beyond the immediate future what's going to happen when your climate is changing so rapidly that you don't you can't really depend on your traditional ways of of projecting the future being um, being reliable anymore. And so, you know, that's the biggest danger. People aren't going to really know what's going to happen next and are able to prepare for it. Yeah, it's um, I agree. I I don't have (laughs) I I I don't have optimism. Um, I don't have optimism that because I think to be optimistic about the climate system itself is entirely delusional we know what's happening we we're yeah. it's gonna get worse and like you said i mean even looking out to this summer i mean i i know that the winters are getting worse too to a degree which is to say that we're seeing more anomalies in the winter winters in general are milder 
um, as as has been seen in the past couple of years, and I think particularly this past winter, there have been it's been br- pretty warm, quite a bit warmer than it should be in the Arctic region, like pretty dramatic in a dr- yeah. in a dramatic sense, right? So even yeah. th- we don't even yeah. find res- respite in the winter season or the cold season any longer. But when we get into the warm season again, it's just like, all right, what 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 new <laughs> what new devastating yeah, you're, you're, things are we going to witness yeah. and experience? Yeah, in the summer, you know, it's like either blazing heat or or Titanic like uh, storms that dump tons of rain. I mean, that's basically what we've been witnessing, especially the past couple of years, has been um, a very like a rough shift to this extreme heat. I mean, one of the things that got me you know, media attention last year was, uh, in an old blog I did, I was, I reported on the extreme heat in the Arctic. And I mean, it was extreme. It was like 80 to 90 degree heat near the shores of the Arctic ocean (laughs) in in July. And I was like, and I, I I was surprised that nobody else had caught onto this. I was like looking at a map of, you know, I was at my previous blog that I did was actually on ocean events and ocean storms, and I happened to be looking at a, a temperature map, and I saw like, what is this? <laughs> what is going on up here? It's like way up there north, and it's like, so I wrote a blog post about it, and suddenly everyone was like freaking out and, and contacting me for interviews, and I was like, nobody else spotted this, like a uh, bullseye of like ninety degree heat near the shore of the of the Arctic Ocean. In July, I, you know, I don't care what month it is. You know, you're not supposed to have 90 degrees uh, and near the Arctic Ocean. You know, it is just kind of extraordinary to me what we witnessed last summer, and it's just continued. I mean, you, it, you, know, you know, Australia just can't cool off anymore. It's like every month is the hottest month on record for that month. Um, uh, and and so when they're not getting flooded, they're just getting heat and India is suffering extreme heat right now um, with temperatures of 105 to 111 in early April, late March, early April. And, you know, they get because they're in the subtropics and deal with the monsoon. They get uh, heat relatively early before they get the rainfall of, of the monsoon. But, you know, they're getting some ridiculous heat. And then other places are just getting devastated by water. I mean, the Midwest U.S., Afghanistan, Iraq. Um, I saw some major flooding from a massive hailstorm in, Al- in Algeria the other day. Um, um, Cyclone Adai in Mozambique. And then and then the nearby countries, Kenya and, and Madagascar, are getting severe drought and famine. I mean, it's just like like what <laughs> it is so it's the the extremes are not just like and that's what people need to understand like everybody like a lot of meteorologists trying to get into reporting more on climate change and um, climate scientists they try to to localize it to make people understand okay this is the change that's going to happen in your area but it is it, it really is a global um, catastrophe you know so even so, like, you know, this might be a big event for this region, this huge flood and ongoing flooding that we're having, but it's also happening for in Mozambique. It happened recently in Australia. It's happening in the Middle East, in Iran. It's happening in other places. And then the, the, the droughts, you know, we're getting a break from drought, major drought conditions here in the United States, 
but they're getting drought developing in Canada. You know, um, Regina, Saskatchewan just had their driest March on record. They usually get get uh, almost eight tenths of an inch of rain on average. They only had uh, three hundredths of an inch of oh rain. <laughs> uh. All. <laughs> All all March, wow. three hundredths of an inch of rain. Um, you know, and then the the droughts in Kenya and and Madagascar in Australia still. Um, you know, and in parts of uh, Central and South America, either getting extreme drought or huge floods. It, it's spatially the extremes are 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 more numerous and close closer together <laughs> you can go from one place and get crazy you know rain create you know another place you get crazy heat crazy aridity um and then so some places like california or hawaii that are swinging you know almost violently between the two you know it gets a lot of drought then you get a, a year or two of ton lots of rain or even a season like last year they had a very wet winter, and then it dried out abruptly, and then they had all these massive mega fires, you know, going in last year. And then uh, Hawaii, it had significant drought, and then they got Hurricane Lane, which dumped the the most amount of rain. You know, you know, I think it was the second most uh, he- heaviest rainfall event on the Big Island anywhere in the United States, only surpassed by Hurricane Harvey of a year earlier. Wow. <laughs> you know, in Texas. And now they're going back into drought again. Oh, man. <laughs> you know, it, it's the, the extremes are, are, are in individual locations are, space, are, are temporally um, close to part. And then across the world, they're spatially close together. And, and that's what you get. I mean, that's what you get when you add more energy to a climate system it's it, the energy just just pounds you in multiple ways in multiple places and 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 it's it's a it's a stability or it's an instability that humans just aren't they can't handle it and the biosphere can't handle it and 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 that's on top of what humans are also doing on the ground with, you know, pollution and, and destruction and, and removal of resources for energy or for building material things that we like. It, it's, it's, it's just a lot of things coming together that, um, that no, not nothing can really handle. And then obviously, um, you know, a lot of, you know, not a lot of climate scientists and maybe talk about it publicly. There's a few that do. And I, obviously talk about it is all the feedback mechanisms that are accelerating to uh, take us to a hothouse climate state globally uh, much, much, much faster than it would have ever done in the past. Um, you know, and obviously that's bad news for, um, ex- for life on this planet, at least the, the larger life on this planet that can't adapt fast enough. You know, so I mean, it, I mean, there's reasons to be. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. You know? Yeah. I, I think, and I think pessimism pessimism doesn't get enough uh, credit. You know, <laughs> you know, we, you know, you know. There's some that lump doomers with what you so-called doomers with deniers. Oh, you don't, you know, they they're just trying. They don't want to act on climate and everything else. I mean, but the truth is, like, if you if you just don't believe that there's a way to stop 
you know, cataclysmic climate change. You're not, you, you just, you believe that because the science that these, that all these scientists themselves are putting out are telling you that it's just, they're not all individually putting it together with everything else. All the other scientists are doing when you do that, then you realize that the problem is much more explosive than, than is, than is realized. Um, you know, and, and so that, that's, I think it's just something that, that, you know, I feel um, just has to be done. We, we, I don't mean, I don't know if humans themselves, you know, you mean, well, I, if you want to ask my personal opinion, I don't think humans can, can survive these changes. Yeah. Um, but even if you don't, don't believe that, that, you know, it, it does, it doesn't really matter so much because, you know, a lot of humans will be put at, will will be, are, are being put at risk of, 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 of life and limb because of these changes in addition to all the other species on this planet I think it's um, a, um, a an obligation of us to to accurately report and and talk about you know what's happening and document it for as long as we can document you know what's happening and and not either deny it or bargain around it or just dance around and say, Oh, you know, we, you know, that, you know, just, just admit that it's a, a, a terminal process that's occurring on our planet. It's just too much has been done and we're just going to have to just deal with it. You know? Yes. Yeah. yeah no, I, I completely agree with you. I'm on, I'm on board hundred percent. That's, that's a lot of what climate change uh, discussions on this podcast are in great deal about you know whether i'm approaching it from a data perspective like we went over earlier or that you've gone over in great deal a great deal already or whether we're trying to address it on a like well how does that make us feel i mean yeah jesus i yeah. mean we're talking about that's that that's not something to be taken lightly right i mean yeah i i personally have tried to tie a lot of different things together in order to give people through this podcast um kind of a perspective cuz like you like you talked about with the sciences meteorology wh- whatever we can we can point to all these various scientific disciplines that are interdisciplinary people are trying to connect these various strands together because they're not separate they're they're connected and and I also think when you even zoom out further and you look at well what is climate change a part of as well climate change is a big force it's a big event that's unfolding as we speak but like you have talked to bef- about before you know um how does pollution how does the fact that we are literally toxifying our oceans our soil our environment through all kinds of different methods whether it's through the kind of chemicals we use for pesticides um you know which is a, a huge uh the, really the main res- main thing that's responsible for the massive decline in insect populations globally yeah you know yeah. sure climate change is playing a role in certain regions when it comes to that I, I know there's been research into certain rainforests and how the temperature on average is higher there and has risen on average much higher than other uh, surrounding regions that are not a part of the rainforest um, yeah but that's playing an impact on insect populations as well and in turn, in playing a huge has a huge impact on the food web, right? But then you also yeah. take into account different aspects of of human industrial activity that aren't necessarily directly connected to carbon emissions or something like that. There is 
all these different facets to consider when we look at the sixth mass extinction event that's currently underway right now that will very likely include the human species. Like this isn't going to, we're not, we're not separate from this. And I think even though it's a very difficult and grief inducing lesson, uh, which is to say that human beings have never been separate from this, even though we've created all of these complicated systems, these, these incredibly hubristic um, aspirations towards godhood or something, you know, we are not gods and we will definitely be, sh- be, we're definitely being shown that right now. And, you know, I, I don't necessarily consider myself a pessimist. Um, I would never call myself that, but I'm definitely not an optimist. At the very least, I would say, what are the material condi- conditions on this planet right now? And is human life possible in those conditions? That's like a very realistic point of view. And people may want to say, oh, you're you're trying to scare people and that's going to cause them to become complacent or they don't want to act. And I'm like, I, I get that, but that's a very surface level criticism. If we really want people to have meaningful action without having a false, um, a, a false belief in an outcome, which is to say, Climate action and, and climate change and environmental action and all of these things, which is sort of based on this idea that we can still save our species and save other life on this planet. Sure, that that worked maybe for a few decades. We're now at much, we're way past that point. Now we need yeah. to have action that is meaningful, but that incorporates this very realistic perspective, because then the action yeah. will actually be worth it. You know, let's not bank yeah. on an outcome. Let's do this because we know it's right. We know that we love yeah. the planet. I mean, I, yeah, sorry to go on a rant, but that that's my two cents on that. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean I agree with you. I mean I had a I mean I had a rant about this several months ago. I, I wrote a, a write up on uh, on my blog. And my by the way, my blog's on uh, Patreon. Yeah. Uh, Patreon.com, meteorologist Nick Humphrey. Um, but I wrote I, I was kind of it was after there was some New York Times, I think, opinion article uh, saying that uh, doom was the, basically doom equal it was the same as deny or denying in terms of you know preventing action and stuff like that. Yeah, and I had a big rant about it. You know, basically <clears throat> take it like you're dealing with a terminal patient. You know, or you know, my like my uh, my father, he passed away from cancer in, in January 2017. Um, that he had dealt with for more than a, a year. Um, and he got, you know, progressively worse in you know, about, I think, four to six months before he died. He was, you know, pretty much told that it was terminal. You know, you don't you don't spend any more time trying to, to you know, cure yourself, you know, because all, because all you're doing at that point is, is – is weakening or harming your body more to try to, to to cure yourself because your body is breaking down. You know, he, he got thinner, he got weaker. Um, he eventually couldn't walk anymore because he was too sick to walk. You spend more time just, just living your life. You know, he, you know, what, you know, you know, he would, you know, we'd talk on the phone. I visited him, you know, a few months before he died and kept him company because he had a, a surgery to uh, to help uh, not on the cancer itself, but to help with some issues related to what the cancer was uh, causing to try to extend a little bit of quality in his life. You know, you do the things you need to do to 
to lessen suffering and just and en- enjoy your time a little bit more before you finally expire. And I find most of, and I, I wrote about this at the time. I find I'm finding most of humanity is either in complete denial that anything is happening at all, or they're in a different kind of, of denial where they where and I think this is a kind of denial uh, so you could call it maybe a soft denial or bargaining where that that plagues scientists you know that there there's always something else that can be done we can you know to stop this and I you know it's just like I look at the reality of it being okay we have you know, a CO2 equivalent of 500 parts per million in the atmosphere right now. That's enough to warm the planet uh, four, more than four to, to six degrees Celsius just on its own. You know, that doesn't include the the ongoing exponential melting of sea ice, permafrost, and everything else that's going to either heat the planet directly or, or um, heat it through re- massive releases of methane. That are coming down the pike in the in in the coming years, not even not decades or centuries, you know, like years to you know, you know. So okay, so I mean, we're getting ninety degree temperatures in the art in the Arctic, right? You know, during the summers now, like something's melting. So you know, so as far as I'm concerned, you know, it's a terminal diagnosis, and and obviously there's other issues like um, a civilization either collapses or falls to the stresses you have the whole global dimming thing that increases sunlight and basically you start to feel more of that 500 ppm atmosphere in terms of more um abrupt heating of the planet because you're allowing more more solar energy to come in you know all sorts of things that you just can't stop you can't um control and you can't like remove you know 500 gig, gigatons of carbon from the atmosphere in, in 10 years or less, which is what you would need to do to have any sort of chance. Too much energy would burn more fossil fuels just to do it. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, yeah, but basically it's a terminal diagnosis. So I look at that and I'm like, you know what? Spend more time trying, you know, stop spending time trying to convince everybody, stop spending time trying to save the planet, spend more time trying to make give giving the planet back to itself you know get you know stop growing cities massively stop building all this stuff on the coast i mean miami's going to go underwater in a matter of decades and they're still building stuff right on the shoreline you know stop putting stop stop exposing people you know you know, stop allowing rich people or or forcing poor people to be exposed to greater and greater dangers from climate. You know, stop wasting, stop the waste of food and 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 rain back. You know, industrial agriculture. Stop using all these heavy pesticides that are killing off the insects. I mean, at least give them a chance to live longer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, in other words, do the things that you would do for a terminal patient that you know is going to pass away in a, in a relatively short amount of time to give them a chance to be as comfortable as possible. But in, instead I see the complete opposite. I see humans being trying to do more to either ignore the problem or, or try to solve the problem that are both becoming more destructive. You know, I mean, I, I, I mean, I read a, read a story about, um, so some scientists are like, oh, um, we'll 
releasing ga- um, glass beads into the Arctic Ocean or over the sea ice of the Arctic Ocean um, refl- help reflect more sunlight and limit the ice uh, melts of the in the Arctic. Like like yeah, you know gonna dump crap on oh yeah (laughs) Yeah. i know to save to 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 slow its collapse which is inevitable and and it might put the species that are already at risk of extinction to you know at risk from polluting their environment and calling that calling that a a saving measure you know or are you going to spray stuff and over the arctic to increase dimming or something i mean it's just and all these cockamamie ideas, you know, that that are in the end more destructive, but are all tech measures to try to save the save the planet. Supposedly, the planet's the planet's biosphere's dying. You know, it goes through it's it goes through this every couple hundred million years. You get a huge extinction event. One was caused by an asteroid. Another was caused by massive volcanoes and the Siberian traps. Another. Um, smaller extinction in the PETM, you know that that spiked temperatures up and killed some species. Others thrived. But here we, you know, we're producing a mass extinction event from burning fossil fuels, releasing ice age carbon from the permafrost, and and pollution from you know plastic and radiological waste. You know we, you know we were just, you know, we were part of all of this nature, and we just exploited nature and now we we're causing a sixth one it's just kind of the you know just ex- i'd rather people accept that and then go about trying to live their lives in a way that's as fulfilling as possible you know as long as possible and be compassionate to other people than be in the complete dark things get worse and everything falls into chaos which seems pretty much what's going to happen yeah later. i know i know you know because nobody wants to talk about the 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 um un the um the unthinkable mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so yeah well i really appreciate your uh your candor uh your yeah. bluntness in that because that's very much needed right now um uh and i agree with everything you're saying i 100 percent am on board so i'm really happy thank you for going over that i think it was good to progress through this interview um yeah starting out talking about something that's very you know happening right now the flooding in the midwest is happening yeah. right now um and then to sort of scale it out to okay this is the bigger picture here and i i truly appreciate you you doing that um and nick i i just want to ask because you mentioned your patreon website uh patreon blog um and i and i've been on that i was researching and i was looking at it so from what i can tell is that on your patreon you know you're not giving you're not you're not putting a paywall between your work no. and anybody who wants to read it so so what you have of course is people want to support you obviously they can there's all those options yeah. available i mean you do have yeah. what seem to be supporters which is amazing um but also you you just want the information to be available you put much of your research and your writing on that blog so people can go to patreon.com slash meteorologist nick humphrey i'll be putting a link to that in the description and you are also on twitter at nth underscore met as met yeah um you're also on facebook i know you have a facebook page and you also have your personal profile from what i understand but i know you have a facebook page is that right 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So there's yeah, I do a, I do a lot of da- da- daily like postings of news articles and other things. Okay. And obviously, um, discussing individual weather events on my Facebook page. Right. Yeah. And so people can follow your work on through all of those different um different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you would like to add that I maybe missed uh, in in all of that? Uh, no, I think we covered a lot. I just um, you know say um you know i think i think people should um should um you know not be a- afraid to to talk with anyone that was w- that's willing to listen the realities of the, the situation that we face and um you know in the in the in you know reality is we're you know we ain't dead yet and we don't know when we're gonna die you know anyway so you know, it's kind of <laughs> like you know just you know just you know i i've been spending more time trying to get get myself away from this all this dire news go out for you know for walks i have a fiance and a you know two two and a half year old son try to enjoy the you know the 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 weather even as the weather um weirds me out more (laughs) you know but try to enjoy the birds singing you know because i mean we all we know that profound changes are coming and a lot of these these things you know these creatures and you know, and, and fellow humans, um, you know, are facing dire straits, you know, but, you know, we still have to try to live in the moment, be real, be real, be true to what we know is coming and is happening already and has happened so far. Um, but also just, um, you know, try to live life to the fullest. And yeah, I mean, I pretty much have devoted a lot of my life now to trying to communicate these issues to people. Um, you know, even though I don't, I don't make a, don't make a lot of money in my life, you know. I, I spend a lot of time and um, trying to just let people know what's happening, give them a realistic assessment of what's happening. Um, not to yeah. depress people. It's a depressing <laughs> subject. It's okay to be depressed about it, but also um, to 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 be aware of their of our part, and not only what's happening, but our our uh, connection to the earth as it as it undergoes these profound changes. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, I, I agree. Um, it is a difficult topic to uh, to bring up, but I think using, I don't mean this in a cynical way, but using events like this in the Midwest, you know, made, this, it's, 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 it's seeping its way into everybody's lives, whether people want it to or yeah. not. And as abstracted as often I think it can be or intellectualized these things can be, they have real worlds their real world impacts we're beginning to see yeah. it right now so it's like every time the wildfires get worse every summer i'm like all right here it is you know this is real yeah. um these floods these are real this is impacting everything so i i think using uh you know talking about it and framing it in a very kind of okay this is this is what's happening right now and this is connected to a bigger trend we need to be prepared for it so yeah. that's how i think many people can approach these uh approach talking about it uh with others so yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, well, Nick, uh, I'll, I just want to thank you again for your time, man. Really appreciate your work. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate uh, you having me. I, and I'm trying to, you know, spread this um, information and and understanding to as, to as many people as possible. So I appreciate the forum to discuss it. Thank you for listening to Last Born in the Wilderness. 
Have a wonderful week, and as a psychedelic bard, Terrence McKenna said, Take it easy, dude, but take it. Every time the preacher called, Ma always fixed the chicken. If I'd reach for a drumstick, I was sure to get a licking. She always saved two parts for me, but I had to shut my mouth. T'was a gizzard and the north end of a chicken flying south. I'm a plain old country boy, a cornbread loving country boy. I raise cane on Saturday, but I go to church on Sunday. I'm a plain old country boy, a tater-eating country boy. I'll be looking over that old gray mule when the sun comes up on Monday.